I'm David Manilow, and welcome to The Dining Table. On the table this week, as always, Cran Daly Moratti joins me, and this time we'll talk about her first ever attendance at the James Beard Awards ceremonies and the after party, plus we'll hear from the Chicago winners. I'd like to thank my husband, Tim. Um, we've pretty much been together every minute of every day for the last eight years. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but it's been... <laughs> crazy ride. Also, he's raised more than a million dollars for charities and he's gone overseas to cook for Ukrainian refugees fleeing the war. I'm like, please take this. It's okay. It's free. You know, and the lady turns to me and she puts her hands together and bows and says, thank you. She turns to her husband and tears start coming out of her eyes. We'll talk to chef owner Tony Priolo of Piccolo Sonio. You, You don't realize the little things in life can be taken away from you at any time. I'm here with Tony Priolo from Piccolo Sonio, chef, restaurateur, humanitarian, ball player. How's it going, Tony? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to be a part of this. So the weather's getting warmer, which means it's patio season. And you, you have, for the last 15 years, had one of, had one of the great patios at Piccolo Sonio. Certainly my favorite, like, upscale patio. Like, congratulations on that, just first of all. Thank you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just walked in and took a quick look around, and it's uh, things are blooming. Yeah, we're we're lucky to have that patio. Well, so I want to understand how kind of you got there. So you grew up in the Northwest Side. You eventually started. You were chef at Coco Pazzo, Coco Pazzo Cafe, and then like one day, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years ago, did you just decide, hey, I'm going to do this on my own, or how did that happen? Oh yeah, I always had a dream to do this, and I worked with my partner at Coco Pazzo, uh, Chiro Longobardo, and he had left a few years prior. And then just one day I woke up and I said, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna do this on my own. So I went in and I gave notice. I mean, we were looking at locations. First, we were looking in California hmm. um, because Chiro lived out there. We looked at Manhattan Beach and I, I honestly, I just didn't feel comfortable um, doing that because I'm not from there. I don't know the farmers. I don't know any cooks. I don't know anything. So I decided, Hey, I, I want to do it in Chicago. And we found this location and we made a deal with the landlord. And here we are 15 years later. But you guys did one of the greatest transformations of a location. Because I used to go to that spot. It was Time, remember? It was Timo. Yeah. And they had the patio. Mm-hmm. And the patio to them was just like an afterthought. And then what you guys do, your, your inside's great. But the patio, you, you made it into this like special, I don't know how to describe it garden party, just a great night out. The food's fabulous. I My question is, how do you get people to leave? How do you turn the tables out there? I think I'm guilty of that. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, we, we kind of just book, like we, we, we try to do 40 people per every, uh, every half hour, um, you know, up to our limit, of course, that's like our maximum. Then we always have friends or people that come in last minute that are there often, you know, we just try to take care of everybody equally because everybody in our you know, um, in our eyes is the same. We, um, we, we just wanted to open a restaurant that brought you to Italy without going to Italy. Right. And we just wanted to be a family restaurant, a corner restaurant. You know, we probably could have 10 restaurants right now, 10 Piccolo Sonia's across the country. That wasn't our, our, our goal at first. We really just wanted to focus on doing what we did. We did it correctly and, and just try to give a true Italian dining experience, you know, with all these costs that went up, it was really hard for us to raise our prices. You know, we, we had to do it a couple of times now because, you know, our insurance went up 28% because we pay for our insurance for our, for all of our um, full-time team. Right. 
and you know like cost of eggs went up you know everything goes up it never goes down i'll give you an example halibut i remember halibut was like 250 a pound it's over 14 dollars and 50 cents a pound for a whole fish right the halibut doesn't know what it's worth <laughs> it's all the things that get <laughs> it's all the things that get um that, that that get the halibut to your table you know um that that cost it that it's the fishermen's the gas it's the imports, it's the, you know, the, the airfare, you know, all these little things that they're constantly going up. So that halibut that used to cost nothing is now one of the most expensive fish. And you got to have it because it's so awesome and it really lends to our cuisine. And do you find people are changing what they order? Are they bringing it down? Are they ordering less high price items or, or is it stayed consistent? You know, I honestly, in the back end, I, I really don't pay attention to that. Um, I don't pay attention to the money part. I mean, I, obviously that's, you know, it's it's a reward to being a part of the business, but I'm here to give you great food and at a great value and uh, make sure my staff is happy. You know, they're really important to us. Um, we'll get back to that in a, in a few minutes, but the that that's the end goal for me is making sure that everybody comes out, you know, and the, and the other stuff comes in line. Um, I remember like coming back to that statement, it was March uh, 14th or March 15th. We heard a rumor that they were going to close that uh, some in the next couple of days, uh, our bank, which is uh, that we deal with, we reached out to them and said, Hey, we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know how long it's going to close. Is there a way that we can get a loan? Um, hmm. And this was before any PPP or anything. So what we ended up doing was uh, they gave us a loan and we started paying our, all of our staff salary and tips for the tipped employees um, while we closed because we had no idea because these guys are the lifeblood of, of our restaurant. And it turns out later we got you know PPP and all that, but we had no idea when we took that loan out. So we're still paying off that loan as we speak because it was quite a bit uh, of money because we had at the time 140 plus employees. So, Wow. Yeah. That's a big family to take care of. It, it is because it's not only them, it's their kids. You know, their kids, yeah, they go to school and whatever. I mean, it's 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 a family, like you said. So, You know, it's interesting. I, I remember I was out at Bob Chin's, you know, the legendary place out in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I was there just for lunch, kind of checking out. I was talking to, I don't know, a waitress or a manager, and they were telling me how many employees they just lost, right, that just never came back. And, you know, it was, it was really, it was kind of an eye-opener for me. Yeah. Knowing that you're taking care of folks, you know, you know, and the bond that you must have with your employees is, is, is great. Yeah. I mean, it's like your brother and sister, you know, I mean, we're a family, you know, we treat each other the way we want to be treated. And I think that's a big, big way. My partner, Tiro feels the same way. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about it and we did this and our bank believed in us and uh, we were able to do that. And, you know, it, it all worked out in the end. And, you know, we, we did it just to take care of our staff. So, Another reason why we have the restaurant is to take care of our staff because we um, we're here for them as well. You know, their their kids have been coming here eating biscotti when they come in to pick up their checks and um, eating pasta when somebody gets hurt where, you know, their school does something. We, you know, I think every restaurant does the same thing, to be honest with you. That's awesome. Well, if, if, if who's ever listening, if you've never been to um, Piccolo Sonio and you go to like Halstead and Grand and you're trying to figure out what we're talking about with this lovely Italian spot with this big patio that's beautiful because <laughs> it's a little incongruous because it's a very urban Chicago neighborhood, just pop in and you'll see what I mean. 
But I do want to go into something that you were talking about a little bit, you know, it's taking care of people. You started Chicago Chef's Cook. Yep, Chicago Chef's Cook. That was, uh, yeah. And you started it based on kind of what was going on uh, in Ukraine with the war. You've done a few more. You've raised over a million dollars, which is absolutely phenomenal. And you've what, what it is, you've gotten a lot of, you know, fellow chefs to cook at fundraisers. I was at the first one for Ukraine. It was just a splendid event. You got you put it together. I don't even know with your with your partners in two weeks or something crazy like that. Yeah, two and a half weeks, kind of. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it was a and and the great thing about it also, it was not only an incredible fundraiser for Ukraine that was done from the heart. It was kind of the first big chef event since COVID hit. So it was a real, it was a spectacle. It was it was actually on the day that they closed us, and that was the day that was offered to us by Navy Pier. So two years later, here we are bonding together after we've just been through hell, um, doing what we do is take care of people and feeding people. Right. And not one chef said no. That was amazing. And then what that turned into is you and Giuseppe Tintori from GT and Paul Kahn from One Off Hospitality ended up going to Poland and cooking in Poland for all kinds of people, Ukrainian refugees and, and more. Tell me how that came about and tell me about that experience. Well, so when we were um, doing the doing the organi organization of uh, Chicago Chef's Cook first event, um, and we didn't have a name at that point, you know, I, I reached out to our chef community. This is the day that Putin attacked Ukraine. I'm watching it as I'm working out in the morning. So I, I emailed all the chefs in my contact list saying, hey guys, we need to do something. I'll do all the all the the back end. I'll organize it, but let's do an event. Let's do something to help raise money, and that's how it evolved. And Sarah Stegner jumped in, said, "I want to be a part of this." And Ida Davidman and Darren Guest from Green City Market jumped in, uh, and then later Jody Fife jumped in uh, from Paramount, but not at that event. She jumped in later, and we formed Chicago Chefs Cook. But during that time. All the chefs voted to raise money for World Central Kitchen because they were already down there. They're already on the plane when we made that decision. So we all voted and we said, let's send the money there. Paul Kahan was really the inspiration behind that. And Paul called me and said, Tony, we need to figure a way to do this. We just said, OK, let's pick out some dates. We found some dates that work. And then Giuseppe Tintori came in and this uh, gentleman, Eric Kleinberg, who was already in Europe. Uh, we decided, OK, we're going to go do it. One of my customers found out. Uh, he said, hey, you know, you guys are doing this. We had finished the event. I'm going to send you down there. I have 5 million miles. So he flew us down there. We flew to uh, Krakow and then rented a car and drove to the border. And we picked up in uh, this town called Shemish, which is on the border of Poland, Ukraine, where the kitchen was. We picked up Eric at the train station, and that's when reality hit us. In the train station, it was filled with women and children with one or two bags of their clothes and all their possessions. And they were trying to sleep in the train station. And the train station is probably as big as a, a small fast food restaurant because it's a really small town. Lying out the door full of people. And I literally, all of us cried. We went in our own little corner and cried. And that gave us the inspiration. Um, we had traveled probably 18 hours, 16 hours to get there with renting the car and driving for like four hours from the town or three hours we go to our hotel we check in and it was nothing fancy it was more just like a room with some beds uh and a shower 
Um, I think I was too big to even fit in the shower, but we had a shower there. So we, we, we get up in the morning, uh, probably not sleeping much, drive to the kitchen. And I think each of us did like over 21,000 steps that day. We busted our ass because what we saw, what we saw. And it was basically five people cooking on the hot side for 20 to 30,000 people a day. Wow. They had a chef there, a couple of people helping out. Uh, me, Paul, Giuseppe, Eric. Um, there's a guy that, named Mark Murphy from the Food Network. He was down there for seven weeks helping run the kitchen with the, the chef that's down there, Carla. And then there was another lady from California, a Ukrainian chef who has a restaurant down there. And we just put our heads down and busted our asses. And then there's another area where they're making sandwiches. We finished what we were doing. We were cooking in these large paella pans that probably fit 10 people in it. You could have a bath in there. <laughs> they were so big. <laughs> that's, that's a big, that's a big paella. Yeah. That's a lot of paella. Yeah. Just think how you're going to, yeah. How you're going to wash those pans. They had a kitchen design and there was like just this dishwashing station for these pans. There was five or six of these pans. It was just amazing. And the, the trucks in and out, we were every day we'd go into the cooler, take stuff out, make like Ukrainian inspired food. And then uh, we did that for a week. And then towards the middle of the week, uh, there's this big tall guy that's in the kitchen and he starts holding his back. You know, we got a mask on, he got hats, kind of looks familiar, I don't know. And he's like holding his back and it's a cement floor. So I'm like, I run over there and I give some cardboard. I'm like, hey man, just step on this stuff here. I'm Tony, by the way. He's like, hey, I'm Tony, nice to meet you, I'm Juan. Right, so I give him these things um, to step on. The next day he's like, man, there, you saved my back, that hurt, you know, cause you're not used to it, right? The, the guy cut himself and it turned out to be uh, Liev Schreiber. He was down Stop. there working. Yeah, he went down there and he, uh, like a couple days, he cut his finger. I taped his finger up and not, not knowing who he was, he was Juan in the beginning because, you know, he didn't go down there for the attention. Then, you know, he came and talked to us later on breaks because uh, he was down there cutting and chopping, doing all the same stuff we we're doing. And he's like, hey, Tony, I want to interview you for uh, something. I was like, dude, you want to interview me? You're fucking Lee F. Shriver. <laughs> Excuse my language. And uh, we turned out to be friends. And what a good guy. He was down there. And then he was, after that, he was down there for a week. And then he went down to um, to uh, Kiev. Uh, and he started some other charity called Blue Check Ukraine, which is helping the people down there. Because he's Ukrainian as well. Wow. I didn't I didn't know any. And, and he's a great actor. And it's like I've seen him. Yeah, he's a great actor. What were the reactions like from the from the people that you're serving you know who are who are getting a hot meal and everything there was a couple they're probably in their 80s that looked very well off they're a little disheveled and a little dirty looking and um i'm trying to serve them food and i say to the lady i'm like here please i'm trying to give them you know food hot food bags of oranges and waters and and i don't speak russian or polish or ukrainian uh and that's the languages that are down there and um I'm like, please take this. It's okay. It's free, you know. And the lady turns to me and she puts her hands together and bows and says, "Thank you." She turns to her husband and tears start coming out of her eyes, and the, that hit me. And she was saying, like, she kind of said in my mind, she said to her husband, "This is what we have to go to now. This is what we have to do." It was, you know, and I literally, when they left, I went behind this tent and just started bawling. Um, that was just a personal experience with me. 
and, and a lot of times too and i and i all of us purposely brought extra money just in case like you know a few thousand euro and i remember every time i see a kid i take a hundred euros and have one of the helpers translate and say hey give this go buy yourself some ice cream i give a kid a hundred euro to go buy some ice cream because what does two thousand euro mean to me in the big picture nothing what does a hundred euro mean to this little kid and like there was moms coming up who gave us the money uh, thank you so much we could totally use this you know through a translator you know i didn't purposely i'm like give it to the kid so he can go buy ice cream you know and that's what we were saying giuseppe did it paul did it we, we all did it and, and you know we i remember leaving there was this uh, couple they were probably 16 or 17 they were smoking cigarettes eating food um i don't know if they were like i don't know how they got where they were at and i just like say hey here go buy go buy yourself a couple of packs of cigarettes this kid almost like he was a big strong little kid he he basically gave me a big hug and it was like uh -huh. thank you so much i mean it's like you know little things like that you don't think about so the first thing I did when I came home, besides getting COVID there, I hugged my family <laughs> after the COVID went away because we all got COVID at right, some point. Gotcha. Not knowing it, we had a test to get back home. But you, you don't realize the little things in life can be taken away from you at any time. So your car, your house, any of that stuff, it's insane. I will tell you this. It's, it's what a uh, kind of emotional life-changing journey for you and Paul and Giuseppe and the other ones who, you know, gave your time. Yeah. Unbelievable. You were talking about giving them money. It's, it's, that's like, that's like happy money. You know, you work really hard to earn money. And when you can give some of that back to somebody that really appreciates it, it's just like, it's just, it's happy money. And like you said, it's not, it, it means so much to them. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's, um, you're, well, you guys are all great ambassadors for, you know, Chicago, the restaurant business, United States, I mean, all that stuff. And, and, and just the whole idea that, it, you, you know, you guys did that and you kind of felt compelled to the fundraising and do that is just, it's, it's extraordinary. And I just, you know, I just think it's great what you did. Thank you. And we, we, we didn't do that for any other reason, just to help people. We didn't want, you know, none of us did this for the attention. We just did it because we had a calling. I, I didn't do it for to have an interview with you, even though I love you, David, <laughs> but you know, I appreciate it. I didn't do that for the, for the media. That's a know. long way to go for an interview with me, Tony. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. I just call your text. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but you know, you and the rest, it, it's in your blood. I mean, you guys are in, you, you are in the, you, you do, you do what you do because you like to, you know, see people happy and feed people and you're in the hospitality business. So, I mean, I, I, I get that part of it. That's always been something that you all have done. I have to say our community of chefs in and around Chicago is the best community around. I mean, if one person, that's kind of how we started on Chicago chefs cook. If one person needed help, um, like during this event, um, this woman, um, uh, from Demera, comes to me, oh. uh, the chef from uh, uh, Tigris. Tigris, yeah. yeah. She yeah. says, Tony, can you help me do something uh, for um, for my town where I come from? And I've never even heard of Tigre. So we that's how we bonded together and said, oh, we got to start this up. And one of the girls that was helping us organize the events, uh, Ida David's son, uh, Cade, said, hey, we should call Chicago Chef's Cook. So we said, okay, sure. <laughs> so we started doing that. And then um, we did something for Ina. We did something like during the event for Tigre, there was a hurricane in Puerto Rico. 
and my friends own the Puerto Rican Museum, uh, National Museum, uh, best people in the world. If you haven't been there, you got to go there, check out the museum. There. I've been there. So they said during that event, there was a earthquake. She's like, can we do an event for Puerto Rico? We're like, yeah, absolutely. So six days later, we're doing another event, raising money for them with our chef community. Everybody stepped up. So that, that being said, I need to step back and I'm now retiring from Chicago Chef's Cook to focus on my, my family, my, my business, my friends, my kids. Um, and uh, Sarah Stegner and those guys are going to keep going with it because she's got the biggest heart, that one. She will go out of her way to help anybody. Um, so she's going to take from Prairiegrass, right? Yeah, from Prairiegrass. Prairie yeah, her and yes. Darren and Ida and Jody are going to continue on with Chicago Chef's Cook. It's just... I'll be there to help them, but I'm just, I can't do the daily, you know, 40, 50 emails well, and 40, 50 texts that I wake up to. I can't do that anymore. Well, you, um, you, you launched it and uh, you, you've left it in good hands. And I, I'm going to ask you now a non-important question about your life now that you have some of your time back. You still playing baseball? Yeah, our season kicked off and I'm so excited about this. And I'm so excited. My little daughter, nine-year-old, started playing softball. I'm like an assistant coach, like the fourth coach on a team. I think they made me one just because they see how excited I am. How, now, the team you play on, what's the average age of the guys that are playing? That's what I want to understand. So I'm in a league that's 32 and up. Uh, I'm 52. So um, there's definitely a big, vast, uh, you know, age group. But they're still, we're still having a blast doing it, you know. I need to know, what position do you play? I play outfield. Uh, I, I need a little bit more time. I play right field. Um, there's nothing better That's, than catching a ball and trying to throw somebody out, and you, you actually get them. <laughs> so I'm an old I'm an old infielder. I'm an old second baseman and shortstop. I was going to say you look like a shortstop, yeah. And I love just being a part of the, the game. And I, I said if I had to guess, I was thinking about it. I'm like, does Tony play catcher? Does Tony play shortstop? Because those are the guys that are pitcher. Those are the guys that are like always in the game, directing traffic, whatever. And I'm like, no, Tony. Tony does that all day long in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> so he's so he's playing outfield. I'm playing outfield. I bet anywhere from five to seven. I'll bet anywhere as long as I'm batting, uh, or let, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I'm 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 enjoying the outfield. I like the time. I like the angles, how the balls hit. Or um, I, I could play infield, the third base, but it's not my strong uh, strong one. Uh, catcher, hell no. <laughs> Pitcher, uh, I'd probably beam a few people. But I've I've pitched before when we're short. I'm going to ask you one last question that I ask just about everybody. So what's your current favorite restaurant in town? And I know you don't get to go out that much because family and, and cooking, that takes up a lot of your time. I mean, it's it's hard to say. We have so many awesome restaurants and so many awesome chefs. And I recently just went to GT Prime and I had an amazing meal. I was probably one of the top meals I've had. And the chef wasn't even there. He was with his family. Um, that was, that was amazing. You know, I'd say that is probably my favorite Sarah Stegner's restaurant, Jason Hamill's restaurant. There's so many, so many great restaurants. I can't just pick one. All right. Well, you don't have to. And I will say GT is, is just happy to tour. They're the next time. So and you obviously have a close relationship. So I will, I will throw in the publican also at Paul Kahn's place. Hell because, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And the new place they have around the corner. Yep. Absolutely. Right. So, so it's like the, oh, and speaking of around the corner, the area that that uh, Piccolo Sonia is, is is thriving, and I know the Guinness uh, Brewery is going to open up like a five minute walk. It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, that's going to be great. I used to I used to hang out at this place called the Six Penny Bit uh, when I was a kid. 
uh, we won't say the age, but uh, in my neighborhood I grew up, and they had the best Guinness, you know, it was an Irish bar. And there's nothing better than having one Guinness. It helps you the day of, and it helps you the next day. There's something about Guinness that's so good. Well, trust me, I'll leave you with this when you're talking about uh, hanging out in bars. Chicago has changed a lot, because when I was 16, the bar just said, hey, just bring a fake ID. Just bring a fake ID. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like was plausible get, yeah. deniability. I was like, that, I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe you can still do that. I don't really know. But uh, that's it. Anyway, Tony Priola, so great catching up with you. And have a, a great summer and beyond. And uh, playing ball, watching your daughter play ball. Oh, you're coaching your daughter playing ball. And uh, and um, being at the restaurant. And I hope to see you in, on a lovely Chicago night at Piccolo Sonia. Yeah, David, uh, honored to be a part of this. And thanks for letting me give all my friends a shout out in my restaurant and great catching up. Um, you're one of a kind, a true gentleman and a true leader in bringing um, publicity to our great industry. You know, we're this industry uh, is uh, been bitten, it's been kicked, it's been spit at and we're still here. Uh, we're still strong. And, uh, you know, you know, it's not just about me and Piccolo Sonio. Uh, it's about every restaurant around here. Now, it doesn't even have to be a fancy restaurant. We're all cooking. We're all doing the same things. And thanks for being a huge supporter of that. Well, let me tell you, you put uh, great food in our bellies and smiles on our faces. So, you know, it, it all works. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> We're trying. Rain's Food and Restaurant Reporter Ali Murati joins me now. Hey, Ali, how's it going? Hey, David, it's wonderful. Recovering from the James Beard Awards. Ah, yes, the city is uh, is aglow in the aftermath of Monday night's uh, James Beard Awards. So let's talk about that. Just a little recap of who won in Chicago. What you thought of the entire celebration? So this is my first time covering it in person. I covered it virtually last year, and it was fun. It was fun to see all the different looks. A lot of people I didn't know, you know, from out of town coming. Uh, it's called the Oscars of the food world often, and people dress the part. It was fun. Um, so right out of the gate, we had a Chicago winner. The very first award that they did, it was Damar Brown, who is Chef de Cuisine at Virtue Restaurant in Hyde Park. And that was quite poetic because Eric Williams, who started that restaurant and is still the head chef there, he was the only Chicagoan to win last year. Right. And he won Great Lakes, Best uh, Chef Great Lakes. Correct, which is a category that Chicago has dominated for many years now. But yeah, so uh, Damar Brown won for Emerging Chef. To the women who raised me, my mother Trina, my grandmother Arlene, and my aunt Inga, they were my first examples of kindness, generosity, and patience, which all happen to be virtues. I can't thank them enough for the continued gifts they give me. I've always felt that it's extremely difficult to see yourself doing something if you don't see anyone who looks like you doing it. So I'd like to thank Chef Eric Williams, For the last 13 years, you have been that example for me. I stand because you stood. Thank you. Good night. And I talked to him afterwards and I said, you know, what does this mean for you guys and at Virtue in particular? Because somebody from Virtue won last year, you've won this year. And he said, you know, what it means is that people are watching. Because the things they do there at Virtue, it's, it's different. You know, they, they take the time to train people and work on diversity in the industry and make sure that it's, the industry is a good place to work for people, which is 
something that a lot of restaurants don't do because that takes time and money. So um, I thought that was an interesting insight from him. Yeah. And Eric is, um, Chef Eric is very community focused, charitable, which of course, uh, when the James Beard Awards pivoted more in that direction, uh, it became an important aspect of, you know, how they vote for their winners. Yeah, exactly. And Eric Williams was presenting for the Best Chef in the Great Lakes region, which again is what he won last year. And that is where we saw our other Chicago winners, too, triumphing. It was Tim Flores and Jeannie Kwan from Kasama. We want to thank the James Beard Foundation. Um, Kasama is a place. um, We have 46 incredible team members. And they're just good people that want to take care of people. And everything has fallen into place because of that. And we love you guys. Some of our management team is here. I never thought that I'd be cooking Filipino food until we opened Kasama. And to be recognized for cooking my mom's food is insane. They were nominated last year as well, but they for, for best new restaurant and or best emerging restaurant, and they did not win. So they won this year. That was fun for them. They came in there. They're starting to become known for their matching outfits that they wear to these types of events. And they had these sort of like velvet, dark forest green suits on. So that was fun. But actually this year in the Great Lakes category, it's usually like if there's six nominees, it's usually like five Chicago and then Detroit. And it was not that way this year at all. Correct. Yeah, there were two Chicago restaurants or you know, chefs from Chicago restaurants. Uh, so Kasama and then Diana Davila from Mitokaya and Toharia. And then there were three Detroit restaurants on there. And I talked to um, Tim and Jeannie afterward. And, you know, they're kind of becoming award darlings. You know, last year they won a Michelin star. And uh, Jeannie told me that this one was really special. And I, I was like, why? Okay, right. You would think maybe a Michelin star would be more special, you know. But she said it's because with this one in particular, you're kind of nominated with your peers and with your mentors and just with, you know, you're representing your team and talked to me about it multiple times. And they have 46 employees and they say that a lot of them did not have experience in the restaurant industry, which is sort of interesting and that they've trained them. But they were saying, you know, the the team really understands what they're trying to do at Kasama. They serve a Filipino tasting menu, Tim Flores. It's a lot of his mom's recipes. And they were just saying, you know, we couldn't do it without our team. And we don't really care about their experience, what restaurants they've worked at, what techniques they have. As long as they understand what we're doing, we can teach them that other stuff. So Kasama both does the very nice multi-course, I think over a dozen courses, tasting menu at night, Filipino. But then they, they're basically like a pastry shop and a brunch and lunch place during the day. And, and it's not nearly as fancy. If you can get in, if you're willing to stand in line. And I used to go when they first opened. I used to go grab before anybody knew about them. And kind of, I think, during COVID. And I used to like eat a croissant in my car, which is not easy to do because the crumbs get everywhere. And I used to sit out and have like, you know, business meetings or stuff in their cute little patio on the side. And it was easy. I don't think I've been there other than the tasting menu, which I've been to twice, which is just splendid. I don't think I've been to the morning or lunch part of it since maybe three months after they opened. That's really funny. You should say that because my first Kasama croissant was also eaten in my car (laughs) and there were crumbs everywhere, but it was worth it. They're very good. Jeannie is a pastry chef. I went recently, actually, my husband picked them up and 
it was a rainy day, I think in March, and um, there was nobody there. Wow. So he swung in. Yep. You know, took that opportunity because you're right. It's still very buzzy. There's still often lines down the block. Um, that's always fun to ask them how long the line is, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, they were there. They um, they represented. And then there were two other Chicago restaurants that were finalists in outstanding hospitality category, CPA, which is a fine dining spot in the West Loop. They were beat by a restaurant in Maine. And then um, Obelix, which is a French spot in River North, they were up for best new restaurant and they were beat by a restaurant in Portland, Oregon. So the James Beard Awards now, it's if you look at the winners, that's just all over the map. I mean, back in the day, it was, you know, New York, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, and then a smattering. Now you could just you could see the whole country. There was a couple of big theme winners that were not Chicago. Philadelphia did very, very well. I think they had best restaurant tour, best restaurant. Another one. Shout out to Check Please Philly in Philadelphia. And also, I noticed there was, especially in the regional ones, a lot of um, Asian restaurants. There was at least three Thai restaurants, Korean restaurant, Filipino restaurant, in addition, I believe, to Kasama. I actually had gone to Anajak, which is in L.A. and Sherman Oaks, which won best restaurant, state of California, California, big state. It's Thai. It's been there for a long time. And it was, it was, it was very good. I don't remember it as being the most outstanding restaurant in the state of California, but very, very good. So I'm glad to um, see they got their credit. Yeah. And you're right. I think um, there was a Puerto Rican restaurant that was the first Puerto Rican restaurant to win a James Beard, I think. So some firsts and superlatives that we saw as well. Patient as well. It's fun to see. You know, we've, we've talked about this before, but James Beard, they took a couple years off during the pandemic and came back last year um, with a revamped sort of focus, trying to make things more diverse. And it you know, seems like they've really done that. We're seeing all the different regions and the different types of um, restaurants to win. And did you enjoy the uh, after party? Yeah, you know, it, it, was a, it was fun to see. So they have an after party at the, just the event is held at the Lyric Opera, which we should say it's very glitzy. It's $500 a ticket. Um, then afterwards you go over to Union Station and there's a little bit of an after party and the restaurants have little stations. You can go up and get a bite. I saw a very tall champagne flute tower. <laughs> it was fun to see that. It's it's not only a, a fun night for sure, but there there's, there's something like 40 events leading up to them. I was at a couple of them. I was at the Boca and Avec 20th anniversary party, which they had outside of Avec, outside on... Um, the Sunday before Monday, which was great. And there was another one at Esme, which was also really nice and warm. And, you know, if you're kind of lucky enough to know some of those folks, they do them for free and it's it's nice. But there's a lot of ticketed events and others. So it's a big week and they're here till what, at least 27, I think, 2027? Yeah, you know, it brings a lot of people to the city, you know, from all over and shines a light on the restaurant industry. So the restaurant folks love it. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Allie, I will talk to you again next week. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's our show this week. I'd like to thank my guest, Tony Priolo, the chef owner of Piccolo Sonio in Chicago. Also, Crane's Allie Marotti. You can find all of her work at chicagobusiness.com. Please check our show notes for links to all the places we've talked about. The Dining Table with David Manilow is produced by Todd Manley at Crane's Audio Studio. Take a moment now to give us a rating or a review. That's the best way for others to discover our conversations. I'm David Manilow. I hope we can gather around the table again next week.